to Tin Pod Radio. This is Aaron Pime and Jordan Middleton from Crime Crazy, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hey, this is DJ Kirkbride. I'm the co-writer of The Once and Future Queen, and you are listening to Tin Pod Radio. Staring in at yourself, time to step outside onto the path you once made. Yo, this is It's Murr, and you're listening to Tin Pod Radio. You can find me at It's Murr on Instagram and Patreon and Ko-fi. You're listening to Tim Pod Radio, and this is Mangaloo or Casey or Labnack and Mangaloo Cosplays, all those things. And you can find my stuff at Labnack and Mangaloo Cosplays on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter. Check my stuff out. So you can function again. I was where you are in you're listening to Tin Pod Radio. I'm Nicole from Night Out Designs, and you can find me at shopnightoutdesigns.com. Hello, my name is Marissa, or Title Zora Cosplay, and you are listening to Tin Pod Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Title Zora or on Facebook at Title Zora Cosplay. Chapter 14. Scott insiders were what is called in military life, in military circles and in military terms, being pushed around and bullied. Basic military operations, in other words. Black operations agents were loading everything from their base into large crates and taking them away. Not just the data, but also the machines, the furniture, even the urinal cakes. Scott was standing in one corner of the room watching all of this as it unfolded, while in the other corner of the room, across from him, Siders stood watching also, but with a more intelligent British look on his face. Siders was scratching his chin, as he always did when he was worried. I think we're dos from here, mate. What do you think happens to us? Scott looked at one of the Black Operations soldiers as he was packing his uniforms away into a crate, and wondered if that was their fate also, and nodded to his partner. Siders scratched his head, a sign he was getting even more nervous. You think? Scott shrugged his shoulders. The last object in the place was crated and taken away, leaving the two of them standing there in an empty room. Ah, oh, they took my pawn. They took my toys. They took my car keys. Ah, oh, they took my hoggers. They even took my bender bobblehead. What kind of secrets could that have hidden in it? Oh, I'll miss my collection of WC miniatures. I'll miss my extra pair of underwear. You only had one extra pair of Y-fronts. One of the Black Ops agents returned and handed Siders a cell phone. The phone wasn't ringing. That was advanced warning. It's for you, he told Siders. Then he left. Siders looked at the phone and turned to Scott. But it's not ringing. Scott shook his head. And everyone thinks the British are smarter about everything.
As I've said before, this universe is very much like our own, only with slight differences that are spicy mind launch pads to things that I hope are worth reading about, mainly just a few people with powers flying around and causing huge amounts of property damage. And one day I'll write about that thing buried in China. There's only one other beyond human hero who's known by the public at large who was accepted and respected as a hero. That hero went by the name Night Book, but he disappeared two years ago, so don't expect any help from him with the current situation going down. Nightbook was the only friendly being from a world not our own that humanity has ever encountered. Well, the only person that humanity has known is alien and seems to be friendly. The fact that Pulpy is alien isn't official, but you know it's like when Elton John or Anderson Cooper came out. Yeah, really, those were huge surprises. Oh, and one other thing, no humans have brown eyes. Take that note of information and put it in your pocket for future stories. And speaking of eyes and eye colour and so on, right now in East Mississippi, as Florida is spit upon by death, a girl named Robin West is sneaking out of her house, running away from an abusive stepfather. She will go on one day to save the world because she has purple eyes, because having purple eyes is just that fucking cool. On one side, you have death. Death is the only being that knows where the true grave of Mozart is and pays homage to the burial site once a year. Or was that Poe? Moving on. 14 million people were killed in World War I and 20 million died in the flu epidemic that followed it. Death cried constantly during that time period but was also happy knowing what would follow. Death is always trying to help but in the only way death knows how. Walking to do what must be done but feeling each step as he walks. Not all knowing, but all feeling. Then you have this one, opening her eyes, standing on the ground of storytellers, and she just watches. She's been called many things in her time, but since her birth from the womb of creation, she has watched. She's me, and me is she, but no warus is involved. She's the storyteller of heaven, the watcher of God's creations. Most know of her as the angel who watches. She hates her given name and has taken another name to cut down on all the laughs if people ever write about her in any stupid religious texts. She further named herself Stis. Stis stands on one of the hills of what was once the mythical land of Olympus, a land that sits quietly as people say all of its gods died out long ago, but in fact they just left for a better promised land. Stis watches history happen. She watched them leave and she will watch the day this planet burns. She's the first to know when things are about to hit another gear, and things are about to hit another gear. Stis watches Death's footsteps. Sabrina has always told people that one of her biggest problems with Ken is his inability to be romantic. To be perfectly honest, and in all fairness to Ken, Sabrina's idea of something romantic is fucking in the theatre while watching a Disney film, with children watching them as an extra turn-on. Here are a few examples of how Ken is not romantic. Example 1. Ken once decorated up their apartment to celebrate their anniversary of being together. He bought fluorescent paint and a lot of poster board. He turned off all the lights in the apartment. Then he lined the floor with poster boards that led big arrows into the bathroom. In the bathroom, he'd drawn a hot bath and inside the bath he'd placed floating candles and yellow rose petals. He had incense burning throughout the apartment, and playing on the radio was a recording of him reading poetry that he'd written for her. Sabrina came into the apartment, the recording started, and she turned right around and left, shouting, I'm heading out to have drinks with someone from work, don't wait up. Example 2. Once, during a Christmas vacation in Florida, Sabrina and Ken were staying at a hotel near Disney. Ken had arranged that while they were out eating, for the hotel to bring yellow roses into their room and hang them up all over. If you're wondering, yes, Sabrina's favourite flowers are yellow roses. 
When they got back to the hotel, Sabrina just got angry because the TV didn't have HBO. And when Ken asked her about the Rosies, she said, Why don't you try and be a man in some real way? Example 3. On his first official couple date with Sabrina, Ken rented out a restaurant and had the waiters place on each table a portable TV, each of which was playing one of Sabrina's favourite movies. All the waiters and waitresses were wearing old stereotypical Asian styles of dress which Sabrina really liked. When they walked in and were seated, Sabrina looked around and saw what Ken had done for her and did nothing but complain about the food for the rest of the night. Example 4. Once, after Sabrina had called and said her day at work had really sucked, Ken cleaned their whole apartment, doing the laundry, the dishes, sweeping, mopping and vacuuming. When Sabrina got home from her hard day at work, she went straight into the kitchen for a drink and because they'd run out of natty ice, she got really pissed, threw something and left. Example 5. One Halloween, oh, actually, I don't know if I should mention that incident. Okay, no, I don't think so. Let's just say it involves a costume party in Sabrina's honour that ended up with Sabrina making fun of Ken's costume and his lovemaking skills and later going down on one of Ken's friends in the bathroom while everyone, including Ken, could hear her. Example 6. Last Thanksgiving. Oh, this is getting ridiculous. Sabrina's just a bitch. There's no other way around it, no other way of saying it. But then again, she never set fire to a bank after locking over 30 people inside. The Angel of the Sword of God. Okay, I need to stop for a second. How come all angels have names like that? Makes a writer's life hell. Do you think the guys writing ancient biblical texts are on some sort of word count? Will someone someday discover that NaNoWriMo is actually a very ancient writing tradition? Anyway, back to where we left off. The angel of the sword of God walked out from the gates of the city of paradise into the gates of hell for a meeting arranged by the archangel Michael. That sentence just triggered a migraine just writing it. Usually, the angel of the sword sits in the eternal library reading the forbidden Bibles, but today he was sent out from the city of paradise on a mission because of the current earthly events unfolding. A meeting had been requested to decide what place heaven and hell would have in the aforementioned current events unfolding on earth. Meeting him just inside the gates was the demon of dreams. After the introductions of I am the angel of and I am the demon of, the two powerful creatures sat down on a park bench-like structure made from the bones of fallen warriors from the ancient Caspery. The angel Michael is the only one who could call a meeting like this. Even in this second-rate universe he's respected, stated the demon. Demons have respect for an angel of heaven, asked the angel. The morning star respects him, and so does most of hell, unless we face his fury. Plus he's the archangel Michael. That's just so cool. So you have respect and show respect out of fear from your master, and because he of the archangels is cool? The demon replied, I have respect for an individual who is one of only two beings in all of creation that has ever questioned God. That takes balls the size of heaven itself. The demon paused and thought for a second as something occurred to him. You guys don't have balls, do you? The angel of the sword stood. He was surprised by what this demon had just said to him. The demon stood too, slowly laughing. You lot have wings and we have balls. Two of one thing, two of another. The angel's face turned red in anger as the demon sat back down on the bone bench and casually crossed his legs. Calm yourself, angel. We're here to discuss what is about to happen to God's favourite creations. Hell is pleased to just ignore it. I would suspect heaven will do the same, even if one of the fallen is involved. The angel nodded his head in agreement. Heaven will only watch also. The angel of the sword turned to walk away as the demon of dreams laid down and stretched out on the bench. With that sense of love, humanity has always been screwed. And just a little bit of information for your edification. In every reality slash universe... 
and boy are there a lot of those suckers out there in creation. In every reality, there's a different heaven. Well, in some realities, it's not even called heaven, but you get the gist of my limited brain pain as it's thinking along this subject line. But in all of reality, all of creation, there is only one hell. Now you know why demons tend to be so cocky. They know more about creation than most angels could even think about knowing. And another thing unique in all of creation is death. In this universe, death is embodied in the form of a former angel. Embodiments of something are always so much more interesting than it's just life. The angel choirs have in the past called death the compassion, but that was a very long time ago. He let them know he didn't like that very much, so they stopped doing it. The archangels refer to him now as one of the fallen. The demon hordes scream his name as the bringing of light. He's got more aliases than my hacker friend's dame cart. Ever since a trip to London, which was sort of a love story, death likes to be called simply Jack. Throughout creation, that was the name he's been trying to get everyone to call him. I guess everyone will just have to try and deal with it. He is death after all. Who's going to argue a name with him? Jack reached the beach shore and began walking onto the beach proper with his suit drying itself with every step he took. He looked up, down and around as the skies cleared and it was suddenly a 100 degrees on the beach. It would probably start to rain again at any moment though. This was Florida after all. Jack straightened his jacket and buttoned it as 12 people dressed in all black military uniforms drifted down from the sky and landed in front of him. It was the dogs of war. All of them could do the flying thing. Jack waved his hand again and all 12 of them disappeared. Simple as that. All a part of unfolding destiny. You young warriors are needed elsewhere. Jack walked from the beach up a set of steps and onto the deck of a beach house. He calmly knocked on the sliding glass doors. The waves have stopped. Here's what comes next. It was hours after the waves had stopped when emergency personnel finally got to the factory. After wounds and injuries were addressed, the emergency crews started trying to help people get back into their homes. Katrina was America's first hydro metropolis. I wouldn't go that far with Melbourne, Florida, but the place sure is a little waterlogged after the waves that have poured down on it. Most of the houses and other structures in Melbourne are still standing, damaged but still standing, but places nearest to the water got hit pretty hard. Julie and Lindsay owned a beach house together. They purchased it about two months ago from a friend of Lindsay's. The friend's husband had passed away and she wanted to move back to her hometown in Kentucky, so she sold it to Lindsay and Julie for only a few hundred dollars. Two National Guardsmen in a jeep dropped them off at their house and from the outside it didn't look too bad. All Guardsmen were told to inspect all structures before letting anyone go in but this house looked pretty much untouched except for a lot of seaweed on the roof and a few windows knocked out so they left the ladies to get on with their lives. Plus both of them wanted to find out if their own houses were still standing. Julie wanted to smile but when she looked at Lindsay and saw in her face what she knew in her own heart was probably the truth. They had not seen the inside. The guardsmen sped off and Julie and Lindsay walked up to their home. Compared to the houses on either side of them, theirs did seem okay. Windows had been knocked out like I wrote and nothing was left of their front yard, but that sometimes happened in Florida normal storms. Lindsay put her key in and opened the front door and water poured out like someone had just opened a door to a huge fish tank. Lindsay grabbed Julie by the arm to keep her from falling off the front steps. After the water came to ankle deep level, they entered. Amazingly, the backsliding glass doors were still standing, though that only helped keep so much water in their living room. Seeing this, Lindsay also knew how bad the other rooms must be, because the house was a split level and had steps down to the bedrooms. Both of them had loved that feature when they first bought the place. First they went into Lindsay's bedroom. 
All of her trophies, all of her stuffed animals and all of her clothes were gone. Not looters, they'd been washed out of the bedroom window. She looked outside after treading through the waist-deep water to the window and saw all of her stuff scattered beside the house. Lindsay struggled back through the water and Julie helped her up into the doorway of the living room. Julie hugged her and Lindsay kissed her on the cheek. Maybe your room is better? They walked over to the other side of the house. It took both of them to force the bedroom door open. They both knew that wasn't a good sign, but when they finally got it open, they found the room in perfect condition. Well, not perfect because Julie had a boy band poster on her wall. But nothing was wrecked. Nothing was even wet. The window wasn't broken, and nothing was out of place. Except for the guy sitting on Julie's bed. No guy had ever been near Julie's bed. He was most definitely out of place. Who the fuck are you? That was Lindsay. Jack put down the photography magazine he was reading and stood up from the bed. I thought I'd fix things up a bit, cushion the blow. Julie looked at Lindsay with confused thoughts and then back to Jack. Who are you? Were you just trying to get away from the storm? It's okay if that's why you broke in. We'd understand. Lindsay, on the other hand, did not think any of this was okay. Please leave. Now. Jack turned his back to them as if they didn't matter and looked out of the bedroom window. Sorry for the rest of the mess. I couldn't really help it. The path must be walked. Bridges must be destroyed. Waters must run their course. I'm here to offer you two jobs in my service. Lindsay picked up a lamp. She was moving to whack him in the back of the head when all three of them disappeared into thin air. hope you've enjoyed this 10 pod radio fiction audio production narrated by stacy taylor you can find stacy on twitter at stace bob t and her podcast is popcultureparlor.podbean.com this story is written by brian c williams edited by christina caceres copyrighted 2017 system productions